Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Rooted Deep, a podcast featuring Reba Bowman and Allison Hale. Okay, welcome to Rooted Deep, the podcast with Reba Bowman and Allison Hale. Um, except for today, I do not have Reba with me, and I'm not sure if it's because our uh, our guest today is a, a native Spanish speaker, and Reba got scared. I don't know what that is, but we'll tease her about that later. But for uh, for today, we have uh, a, a friend of mine from years ago. She and I were just um, catching up, and uh, Nora and I were in Mexico together, but she and her husband um, lived, her husband was in charge of the school for missionary kids while their parents were in language school. And so um, I've been, we, we were able to reconnect over Facebook and she just has a wonderful testimony and we wanted to introduce her to you today, um, our listeners here at Rooted Deep. And so Nora, uh, welcome, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. All right, so we're just going to jump in, and I wanted to hear, first of all, just your testimony, because you and I met in Mexico, um, in Querétaro, Mexico, which is a beautiful town in central Mexico, and um, and then uh, the, the Lord and um, life has brought you uh, to where you are today, so I wanted to hear a brief testimony and tell us um, how you guys are doing. We are doing fine. Um, we're just taking each day as... Um, as God gives it, gives it to us. My testimony began, well, when I was about nine or 10 years old, uh, we were living in Querétaro. We had just moved from a city uh, smaller and which it's an hour from Querétaro, San Juan del Rio. And um, one morning when um, my mom was there because uh, usually she worked a lot of hours. She's a, she was a registered nurse. Um, two ladies, two young ladies came to our house and knocked at the door and they, they asked my mom to let us go to a vacation Bible school. Um, I, as a child of 10 years old, you know, I was kind of in, you know, curious. So I was just speaking at the door. And so my mom just turned and said, would you like to go? And I said, sure. And so, um, so we, we, uh, we began to go to the vacation Bible school and I, um, I took my younger brother and my younger sister with me. And immediately I fell in love with the stories because mm. I've never, I never experienced such a thing. The stories, the the little choruses, the the activities that they had for us, and I I fell in love with that. So I continued going through that week. Once the vacation Bible school ended, um, uh, I stopped going because you know it had ended. And so um, about one week or two weeks, the same ladies came back, and my mom was not there, so I answered the 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 door call and it was the ladies and they asked me we haven't seen you there and I said but the vacation bible school ended I mean <laughs> what else is there done. yeah what else is there so they told me well we have a church we have a Sunday school in the mornings uh on Sundays and Wednesday nights and Sunday mm. nights so 
come. And so I started going. And uh, soon enough, my my whole family, my mom including, began to attend. And and that's how I I learned about Jesus. I learned that I was a sinner. I learned that I needed a savior to forgive my sins. And at the age of 12, I uh, received Jesus Christ as my personal savior. Um, and so that's my testimony. I grew up in church since that time, since practically all my teenage, teenage years up to up till now. So yeah. I've been in church. That's fascinating. And I think that's an exciting story for us as missionaries and for people in church who just invite um, and, and host Vacation Bible Schools because children are so so open. And that was just the way um, that your family was reached. I think that's wonderful. And those little choruses, all of a sudden you start talking about that. And I'm, it makes me want to sing teen, teen, teen <laughs> from years ago. <laughs> Um, and you never forget those. And our children, you know, just don't ever forget those. It stays in their hearts um, for so long. Yes. Um, and another thing I was thinking about as you were talking about your family and the first time I, I think I visited your mother and, 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 and your family, your mother gave me, made me an avocado sandwich and served it with a side of beans. And I just thought that was the most delicious dinner I had ever had at that point. So oh, wow. as you're, so I know you're, you're, you're stationed, you're not stationed, but you're living in Missouri now, but talk to us a little bit about just what um, some of your, some of your favorite foods that you miss from Mexico or some of the things that you, that you loved about uh, where you're from. Obviously, um, what I miss the most is my family because mm -hmm. you know I'm I'm here by myself mm -hmm. of my own family yes we do have Tim's family but they live in Springfield they have their own things and life here in the states is just so so fast-paced that you know it's hard to get together um so family is the the number one that I miss mm -hmm. um um I miss the slow paced although you know, it's becoming faster and faster. Even in Mexico, I think it's becoming like that everywhere. Mm. Technology makes it that way. Um, but um, about the foods, yes. When I first moved here uh, to Missouri, um, after God pretty much threw us out of Mexico, um, the food was was missed. <laughs> um, uh, during that time, how many years ago, 26, 20, yeah, mm -hmm. um, there were not a lot of foods that you could get at the grocery stores. Right. And so it was hard to cook like I was used to. And I had to learn the American way. And my kids were going through um, uh, experiences, culture shock, and right. they didn't want to eat any of that. So it was hard. So mm -hmm. Mexican food. Um, now it's no problem. I can yeah. buy tortillas anywhere. Yeah. Uh, there are Mexican restaurants that are good. Mm -hmm. uh, I can go and, and, you know, I can make whatever I want now. There you go. But before That's it was good. difficult. <laughs> I can imagine how difficult it was. I still miss the family though. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, that's one of the things that, um, you mentioned, you mentioned your kids and I know that, uh, you've been touched, um, 
by uh, just by missionary families because you ended up marrying a missionary kid. And um, I think our, our families have a lot in common just because of that. And I think that's fascinating. Tell us a little bit about Tim and then tell us um, about your children, please. Well, uh, I met Tim when we were children. We were probably nine or 10, I can't remember, long ago. <laughs> and um, we, we both grew up in the same church in Querétaro. We played together in the church after the services. We would just chase each other, you know, kind of like children mm -hmm. do um, <laughs> in the patio area right there, we were allowed. Um, and around age 12, we became uh, childhood sweethearts, mm. but that ended just for a few months. And then mm -hmm. at age almost 18, 17, almost 18, we started dating again. Um, we dated through college, and then soon after we graduated, we got married, and we ended back in Querétaro, working with, along with his parents, mm -hmm. and, um, and then that's where in Querétaro, my first and second child, children were born, Ashley, uh, who right now is currently 31, Alan just turned 30, uh, yesterday at the Mexican uh, Independence Day, mm -hmm. and um, and Adric, um, he was born here in the States. Okay. Good. I remember a story when you're talking about um, you and Tim, I think, were first married, and um, we would, Tim was mainly in charge of our, um, like I said, the missionary school, um, where all the missionary kids did all their work at your house, basically. And um, while our, down the street, our parents were in language school learning Spanish. And um, I remember it was one, it's always one of those things that, and you probably hated it, but we would always be uh, out do, during recess to, for on the, when you would come home. And I think all of us would be like, Nora, and we would scream and yell and go running down the streets and greet you. And I can imagine how annoying that would have been day after day. And you're like, I just want to walk into my house. <laughs> I just like, you know, you just wanted to get that into your house. Special. That's good. That's good to know. Cause I always worried about that later. Now that I'm an adult, I'm like, that had to be, that had to be hard, but good. I'm glad. Well, um, I wanted to talk to you specifically about Adric, your third child, because, um, as I followed you on Facebook, um, it's, um, it's obvious that you guys had a, you had a special bond and I wanted you to tell us a little bit about, uh, about him and, um, and let us know. Well, um, I think I was thinking of what things to say. I wanted to say how, how, you know, how it all happened. We were happily working along my in-laws in Mexico. We were living and then suddenly everything just, you know, our world just turned upside down mm. completely from one day to the other. It was just, um, the, the uh, team, like you said, like you mentioned, uh, he was working at the, at the uh, teaching the missionary kids um, at homeschool, you know, homeschooling them. And at that time, I was um, teaching Spanish at the language school. Mm. So the missionary that was in charge, Georgia Webb, decided that she, it was time for, for her to retire about doing that I mean she was going to continue with the church ministry but that ministry she said she was done mm -hmm. 
Mm. And even though she tried to find people to take over, mm. she never found mm -hmm. the person. And so we were trying to um, wonder what we would do. I, as a Mexican, I could work, but Tim, as an American, uh, an American citizen, he mm. couldn't work. And the paperwork, it's, mm. it takes too long, too much money, and time we didn't have, uh, and money either. <laughs> um, so uh, we started praying about it. And, um, and then um, that was, that happened, well, I can't remember anyway, but it will come to me. But uh, we started praying about it. And um, one day in March, around March or April, the end of the, year, the school year was mm -hmm. coming to an end. And um, this missionary that I had taught, not you know from the fellowship, the Baptist Bible Fellowship, but from another denomination, the Christian Church, I I taught them Spanish on my private hours, and and Tim also was teaching uh, their daughter at the school, and uh, he we were visiting uh, Jim and Becky, my in laws, and and then the phone rang. And it was uh, him. And he talked to Tim and he says, I am right now at the border. I think it was McAllister. McAllen, is that the border? Yes, um, McAllen. Um, and um, and um, I have a trailer. Um, it was one of uh, a good size trailer. I can't tell you the measurements, but it was covered, all covered, kind of like a horse trailer, okay, kind of like yeah. that, but covered. And he, and he says, and it's empty. I left my wife in Illinois because mm. she has some health issues and she's gonna have a lot of testing. And I needed to go to Querétaro because I, ha I have a few things to do in Querétaro, but you just say the word and I will take that trailer all the way to Querétaro, empty and you can fill it with all your stuff. And, um, and then I can, take, I can take your stuff all the way from Querétaro, all the way up to Illinois, if you wanted me to. Oh, okay. And so we knew right then that God was wanting us out of there. He mm -hmm. just said, I don't want you here in Querétaro anymore. And I was pregnant at the time. I was probably in my in my first trimester. And so we began selling our stuff. I I started packing all the things that I wanted to take. Uh, I kept some of my furniture, not much, but yes, a few. And then um, we ended up here in the states. Um, it we. Uh, Tim had come with him, with Steve, um, to take our things. There were some, uh, there was a family, a family that we were friends with that had just built a garage, a new garage. And they told us that we could have that garage to put all our stuff mm -hmm. until we found a place to live. Well, we looked for a house in Springfield, but we couldn't afford what you know what looked okay and what 
we could afford were just dumps. And I was just, you know, sad and disappointed. And did I leave Mexico for these? But uh, so we ended up living with uh, Tim's grandpa, grandpa um, in a trailer in one one room till we found till we found a place for us to live. Um, and then um, Tim was able to find a job soon after we got here. So everything was just, you know, like one, like a puzzle, one, one piece after a piece, a piece that it was so easy to see how God was working. And um, so at that time I was, uh, we finally found a house in Crane because we couldn't afford any of the houses in Springfield. Crane being a little town was cheaper. And so we, we found a house and, uh, and one day uh, my in-laws were in furlough at that time. So we were visiting them in Springfield. They lived in Springfield. And um, I received a call because we didn't have a phone in my house. And there was before cell phones, okay? <laughs> and, um, and so I figured, I, I was just kind of, it was an odd feeling, odd thing to receive a call from someone who's calling me in my in-law's house because she answered the phone and it says, Nora, it's for you. Who's calling me? I mean, I don't know anybody. <laughs> so um, it was a Dr. Dix. Mm-hmm. And later on, people would tell me that this thing never happens. Mm. A Dr. Dix called me. She was the head of the doctors, the gynecology doctors in Springfield who are in charge of um, difficult pregnancies. And in the case of me, because I had already as two C-sections, I was considered a difficulty situation. Mm-hmm. So she called me and said, I understand that you are pregnant and that you need a doctor. Can you please call my office and tell them that, uh, that I told you to make an appointment for this week? I already told the people at the front desk, but just make sure that you remind them. And I said, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and that wow. was it. Uh, mm. um, and so I called the next Monday and the next Tuesday, we were having an appointment. All this time, I hadn't had an appointment since we left Mexico. Before we left Mexico, I had, I had gone to see my gynecologist and he says everything was right in my first trimester. Yeah. And then when, we, uh, when I went there, well, I was so big that they just didn't, they couldn't do that, the echocardiogram, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, where they check everything, then measure everything. And so they told me, uh, we're going to have to make an, another appointment in a couple of days. And so I went again. But that time, <clears throat> um, when she was pushing and just checking everything, she said, okay, I'll be back in a minute. I need somebody to help me. And so she brought another one, another lady, and they were just kind of checking and checking. And they, they began to whisper. And I knew then that there was something wrong and chilled my heart because otherwise they wouldn't be whispering, you know. So I asked, is there anything wrong? And they said, oh, no, we're just kind of trying to to figure out this. Um, 
uh, the doctor will talk to you after we finish this anyway. So the doctor came and she said, your child is, you are on the, on the, on the last trimester of your pregnancy. Your child's heart is not developed. And the heart is the first thing that develops. It, it, it completes its development in the, in the first trimester. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to uh, send you to a, a pediatric cardiologist so that they can do another elect, uh, electrocardiogram or whatever, echocardiogram. Mm. And, and so that's begun. The story of my son. Mm -hmm. um, so after that, it was just um, doctors and doctors. And finally he was born C-section. Um, uh, the day that he was born, I was able to hold him just for a little bit. And then he was flown to St. Louis uh, Children's Hospital. And I was not able to see him until they released me from the hospital. And a few days more, I was able to go and see him. Uh, he had his first. Um, so what happened with him is that the left side, the left ventricle of his heart never developed. So kids all over the world that are born like that, they only have like um, a week or two to survive. Once something in their heart closes, mm -hmm. then that's it. They cannot longer because their heart, the left ventricle is the one that pushes the red blood all over the the body, and so he didn't have that. Um, so that's the story of my son, and that's began the. But he lived longer than a week. He lived how long? Yes, because um, he lived twenty-four years mm. and a half, and through um, several major um, heart. Um, surgeries, he was able to survive. The surgeries, what they accomplished was to slowly, slowly, very slowly, changing the, the circulatory system in his body. This, we were just talking to Nora about um, just the beginning of Adric's life and um, all of the doctors and all of the the surgeries and um, and so I'm going to ask you the next question, Nora, is just how much strength um, did it take to care for Adric during this time? And you're new in a new you're new in the United States of America. You're away from maybe your community of family, um, personal home, um, your personal family in Mexico. And um, tell us a little bit about those struggles, but also the strength that Adric gave you um, during this time. Yes. Um, well, to begin with, um, I it, it is it is difficult. It is difficult to see your child suffer and not be able to do anything. Um, you you don't feel the strength that you need, but God gives it to you on a daily basis. What I would like to tell is that, um, you know, we may find ourselves in difficult situations and we fight it and we fight it 
with teeth and everything. Um, but when we let God work, he, he blesses us. So in my case, I had a difficult time accepting my situation because I remember that when I was pregnant with my two other kids, I only remember praying for them for just a few times. Please, Lord, let them be healthy. But with Adric, something in me told me, you need to pray for this child. And I didn't know. And I remember that there were only a few times that I didn't pray for him. So when we moved over here in the States, yes, I could see God's hand work, how he worked everything for a reason. I could see that my son was important to him, the way he he took us out of Querétaro and provided everything for us to be here. I could see that, yeah, if we had stayed in Querétaro, he wouldn't have survived, not because of the medical, because they were existent, but by the time we, they, or the doctors knew what it was wrong, it would have been too late. But, um, but when things progressed, um, I became, I became so, so angry inside me. I, at the time I was going to the church and I had, there was a lady, a girl actually, a 17 year old who was pregnant, got pregnant um, out of wedlock. And, and when her baby was born, which was probably two or three months after Adric, she was perfect. Well, my kid had all these issues, throwing up, um, uh, eating aversions, um, everything, you know, everything was overwhelming to me. I became angry and, and, and little by little, I was just, you know, like, like filling a bucket mm-hmm. with dirt, monk, you know, all that stuff. And, and my heart became black. And, um, and one day, um, I just couldn't hold it anymore. Um, I, I remember that time, particularly my children were already gone to school and I was by myself with Adric and, you know, all this time the preacher would say, yes, God understands. God knows how you go. I mean, God knows you. He knows your troubles. He he understands you, and and you know I would just kind of smirk at the at the comments and just no he doesn't and you know kind of like I became so angry within inside me that you know nothing nothing would make it better and um, even though I had seen him work all yeah. these you know all these miracles. Um, until that particular day, and then you know, I, I, I couldn't, I could hold it no longer, and I was just began fighting with him, and I said, "No, you don't know what, what I'm going through. How you never answer my prayers. I pray for this baby. I pray for his health. And while this girl has, you know, a baby out of wedlock, her baby is perfect, but mine, you know, and all that, and then." And then I remember the preacher say, say, and yes, he knows how you feel. And I said, and no, you don't know how you, how I feel because you never had 
a son. And then suddenly everything just stopped. Because, you know, I grew up in church knowing that he gave his son for us to forgive our sins, to take our place at the cross, all the suffering that he went through. And I realized, yes, you have a son. And yes, you understand how I feel. I cannot do anything for Adric because I'm human, but you could have done something for your son when you saw him, you know, bleed, suffer, all the pain, all the mockery, everything, but he chose not to because of our love, of his love for us. Yeah. And so after that, that's when, you know, I began to heal. Mm -hmm. So once I passed that rebellious, angry face, not accepting my fate, the fate of my son, then I began to, you know, heal and God started working through me, through him, and um, and everything became not, it was not easy, but it was easier and his strength was perfect. Amen. Yeah, that is beautiful. And thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of times people see see somebody going through a difficult time, but they don't don't see that vulnerability or they don't see that moment where and where they are become at the lowest um, and having suffered through infertility and, and seeing somebody else enjoy um, holding a perfect baby and, and why, why her, not me, and those moments, but understanding that God's way is perfect is so, um, it is freeing, I feel like. And I, um, I, I think I can hear that in your story. Tell me a little bit about your, about Adric's relationship with his brother and sister. Um, they were older. Were they caregivers? Were they? Um, yes. Yeah, uh, Ashley was five years old, older than he, and Alan was four years older than Adric. And yes, from the, from the beginning, um, they helped a lot by, you know, you know, the usual bring me his baby, his diaper, and so on. So, but as they grew, they, um, because Adric at, at age six, he had a cardiac arrest and ended up in a wheelchair. And, and when you don't move, your body, you know, kind of breaks down. Mm-hmm. And little by little, his body began, you know, kind of deteriorating. And so um, they grew and they, they became caregivers. They would help me taking care of him when I was, because I, I began to work and for a few hours they would watch him, they would feed him uh, via G2 mm-hmm. and everything. So until they each went on their own and went to college. And that's how, wow. you know, they, yeah. they were. Um, I think um, at times when they were younger, maybe in in their childhood years up to probably 10 I think they resented it because I would tell Ashley can you watch him can you please while I'm doing you know cooking and and before he before he had the cardiac arrest he had also autistic uh, autistic tendencies 
he was not per se diagnosed, but yes, he had them. Um, and so they kind of resented the fact that, you know, they had to take care of him, that he didn't know how to play, that he would just come and destroy everything that they had. And then, you know, they resented that. But later on, when, when he had the cardiac arrest and he was not able to move or anything, um, they, I think it helped them see um, how blessed they were to be able to do stuff and to be considerate of other people and the needs of others mm. and to, to um, accept the differences in those type of children, the special needs children. Yeah. So that helped them. Those are some beautiful lessons for a family to learn and to, um, to, str to struggle through um, just like you said, and just being honest with, um, with everybody's imperfections, but at the same time, um, understanding the learning, um, you know, what, what you learned as, as a family. Um, I wanted to kind of end with, um, before we get into our, our, our quick little questions, I wanted to end with when Adric uh, passed away, um, you wrote, are you a normally a poet or did this poem just kind of come to you or do you normally just write things down? Are you a journaler? Um, and could, would you share excer an excerpt or something from, from what you wrote? Um, I'm not a journaler. I'm not a writer. I'm, I have difficulty communicating because I don't have that ability. I'm not witty sometimes, <laughs> you know, I should have said that two days ago, you know, yeah. uh, but no. Um, um, it, the, the story that I wrote was during uh, a time when, uh, you know, um, what I thought that was going to be an in and out hospital situation like normal, which uh, a, a hospital situation is like 10 days mm -hmm. at the most, um, uh, it ended up to be its last days. Mm -hmm. um, the Fontan procedure was not working anymore. And so, so I knew that his, his heart would give up and it was already, you know, um, uh, showing signs in the fact that his feet, legs were swollen, his mm -hmm. abdomen was swelling, uh, retaining fluid because his heart was not able to pump the correct, uh, the, the strength, the right ventricle, you know, I mean, the left ventricle is the one that pushes the hardest mm -hmm. and he didn't have that. So I had a lot of time. I, I, I was having a hard time accepting. Well, no, I didn't have a, a hard time accepting. I just kinda, I couldn't figure out why everything was happening. Um, I didn't, I didn't understand God's work because <laughs> All this time, he could, he could have taken mm. taken him. He could have taken him in Querétaro, but he chose to bring us here. And he could have taken him when he had the cardiac arrest. And he could have taken him when he he his heart stopped when he was a month old in the hospital. And other times when he had seizures and all that. But you know, um, I 
I didn't have any problems. I just kind of, uh, uh, my, my head was just like spaghetti trying to <laughs> unravel the whole mess there and trying to figure what's going on. What is, what is God doing? So um, when, when I, when I, you know, I couldn't pray. I, I felt that sad. I don't know how to explain, but I couldn't pray. I would just start praying and just cry and cry and cry until finally, you know, I said, okay, your will is perfect. And then um, that's when all the time that I had, which I had for, you know, I, I lived in the hospital for four months. I never left it. I never came back home. Um, I began writing and I wanted to write a story. And that's when I wrote the poem. I'm not a poet. It's just <laughs> that something came because I wanted right. to to write Adric's story and not in a typical way. This is what happened to Adric, blah, 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 like I'm telling you, but mm -hmm. his heart story. Yeah, that's a, it was beautiful to read. Um, and it was, and like you said, Adric didn't have a normal life. So expressing his story in a normal way would not, would not be the correct way. No. And so when I read no. that, um, and we will, we, I, if you would allow us to, I would like to post a link on that when we post the, po um, the podcast, because I think you published it on sure. Facebook. So we'll do that for everybody. And thank you, Nora, for spending time with us. We always put everybody on the spot at the end, at the end of an interview. And we just ask them some easy questions. I say they're easy. Um, and so I'm just going to go through them and they're quick, short answers. So that's not, you don't, don't do a lot of thinking. And if you just want to say pass, it's not like there's a hundred thousand dollars at the end of the at the end of the conversation anyway. So, um, just question number one, and we usually just say, you know, um, just ask these quick questions. Um, so, what is one book that has impacted you, um, just during maybe just right now or during your time? Okay, um, I'm not your typical mom that reads um, how to get how to better yourself. Right. The Bible is the thing. The Bible is a book that has helped me through the years. From the time that I was nine, my Sunday school teacher recommended that I should read the Bible. And once I started reading the Bible and learned that when I read the Bible at night, my childhood uh, nightmares would go away, that I, you know, that was an incentive. So the mm -hmm. Bible is. Okay. Um, what's another, okay. So what do you do? In, what do you enjoy doing during your free time? Right now? Yes. Uh, nothing. <laughs> I like I like to be outside. Uh, lately, I've been doing gardening. I like to um, craft, create mm. things. Good, 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 good. Um, okay, what is one thing that people often get wrong about you? They look at you and they think, but they're wrong. They always think that I am very serious and angry. Uh. <laughs> So you have one of those faces that always, that my husband has that know, same maybe, face. Uh, I, I don't know. Yes, I don't know. And until they, they know me and they, you know, I don't know. Mm. Um, <laughs> all right. So do you have a favorite movie? Yes. Um, you've got mail. Oh, I love that movie. It's a classic. Um, besides an avocado sandwich, what is your favorite meal? Oh, my favorite meal, tacos al pastor. There, that's Hands the down. same for me. 
thankfully we've got a great restaurant here in the Dominican um, that makes them and they deliver. Uh, what is something, what's on your nightstand? Because I'm sure it's your Bible and a lamp. So, but what Actually, else is on I your nightstand? I don't have a nightstand. Uh-oh, okay. But I have my, I have uh, a couple of books. Mm -hmm. um, the one that I'm currently reading, which is My Son, My Son. Mm -hmm. um, and another one that I can't remember. Um, my Bible, I usually have it right here by my kitchen because I like to read it when I'm um, after I eat. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's good. Um, what is something, uh, just an ordinary moment in your life that brings you joy? An ordinary? Ordinary moment. Just some, Yes. Just to spend time with my family, my grandkids. Yeah. That's good. And then um, what is the, what is the one thing that has kept you deeply rooted? This is our last question. Deeply rooted, the promises of God found in his Bible, yeah. in his word. And I think that's been your theme through this whole conversation has just been the knowledge and the story of God. And even in your darkest moments, he brought you back to his truth um, that yes. is found in his word. And then all throughout. And I think, And I think that's one of the purposes of this podcast is to understand when we do have those... Um, hard times that that's that's really the only place that we can find you know yes. joy rest and strength um, to be deeply rooted so I want to thank you today Nora for um for coming um and ha struggling through technical issues and and, yes. uh, and talking to us about about what has kept you deeply rooted and telling us the story of Adric and I thank you so much for that and um, I hope you enjoy listening and we will post the link of Adric's story. We will post that when we post our podcast and everybody have a nice day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rooted Deep. To learn more about Dare for More Ministries, go to dareformore.org and look up Mercy Workshop at mercyjewelry.org.